Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to Tariq Time, where we talk about the history of Tigray. On this episode, we will be talking about the genetic history of Tigray. Hey, come here, come here, come here. The honey, ma. The hando? Come here, It's a book. Okay. Okay, don't accidentally end the live, Danny. All right, I won't. I promise. I'll try my best. I think I might have done that at some point. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get started. We're going to talk about the genetic history of Tigray. We are, and as I said earlier, if you have any questions, please put them in the question box. And about anything, it doesn't have to be about genetics, about anything, and then we'll get to it later. Okay, so let me just ask you, and remember, Shoei, you're supposed to be like a surrogate for the answer, for the audience. So if you don't know anything, that's perfectly fine. So what do you know about the genetics of Tagarus? Okay, so I would like to proclaim that we are 100% indigenous um, to the land. And, um, but mm-hmm. our genetics, from what I remember, um, has significant uh, markers that are similar to those of the Arabian Peninsula, especially Yemen. Okay, so some interesting that's, stuff there. That's all I got, yeah. Okay, I'll get to that. One thing I'll address is we are indigenous, and that's not just me saying that because it makes me feel better. You know, people talk about us being mixed and stuff like that. That is not unique to us. Every single group of people on this earth is composed of different groups of people that moved around and mixed at different points in times. There's no such thing as a pure group of people, right? The, the original uh, inhabitants of the, uh, the UK were actually found to be dark-skinned people with blue eyes who probably wouldn't fit into any uh, racial category neatly today, right? So, and over time, different people migrated to there, but no one would look to an English person in England today and say, you're not indigenous, right? So we are the indigenous people of the land of Tigray, us, you know, the fact that different groups of people came in and migrated and mixed and whatever is not unique to Tigray, that's perfectly normal and happened everywhere else. Okay, so I'm also going to talk a little bit about um, linguistics and language groups because um, typically language and genetics are tied. They're, they're, they're not 100%, but they're very closely follow each other, right? Because when a group of people go to a certain area, they bring their language with them. And when they mix with another group of people, sometimes they bring their language, sometimes they bring part of it, sometimes they don't bring their language. So let me just look at my... um, So an example is we live in North America, right? We live in Canada, us uh, specifically. We speak English as our first language, but we're not English, right? And you can have the reverse scenario where... Let me see. Hopefully this makes sense. Like... Just because a group of people speaks a language doesn't mean they necessarily got that, um, how do you say it? They genes. got their genes. Yeah. We don't have English genes, but we speak English. Exactly. And it can be the other way around as well. Okay. So in Tigray and the Horn of Africa, there's two main language groups, Afro-Asiatic and Nilo-Saharan, right? So Nilo-Saharan is typically like Nilotic people, like the Kunama in Tigray. But there's other Nilotic people in Sudan, South Sudan, other areas. Afro-Asiatic is, let's see, there's, there's a few. And those 
sorry, those um, language families break down into other language groups, which break down into specific languages, yeah. right? And there's many throughout the world, like Indo-European is what holds most of the European languages we think of. And, you know, one of the Indo-European branches would be like, say, a Romance languages, which would be like Latin, French, um, Italian, so on and so forth, right? So Afro-Asiatic has six branches. So Berber or Amazigh, so that's the native people of North Africa, right? Chadic, which is mostly in Chad, right? Kushitic, which we know about, that's like Somali, Oromo, Agao, Irob, or sorry, Saho is the language, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Egyptian, so ancient Egyptian is Afro-Asiatic. Omotic, which is found in Ethiopia, and which compromises like stuff like uh, Morsi, uh, I'm forgetting a few others, but they live in southern Ethiopia. And then Semitic. And so Semitic would be Arabic, Hebrew, you know, Amharic, Tigrinya, and so on and so forth. So um, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm explaining that a little bit is because um, the way those languages come to different parts of the world is because different people moved around at different uh, times. So let's see. Um, so Afro-Asiatic is a large language family. It's about 300 languages and it's uh, Middle East, mostly North Africa and the Horn of Africa, right? Yeah. Um, we don't know the original area where it came from, Afro-Asiatic and where it spread from. Some people think it's the Horn of Africa. Some people think it's North Africa. Some people think it's the Middle East. No conclusive um, sort of uh, data has shown up yet. But um, the first sort of important genetic event we see is the advent of the Cushitic speaking people, right? So we don't know, there isn't, um, sorry, is there anything that didn't make sense about what I just said? Is do, or does anything need to be clarified or is it? I don't see any questions in the audience for myself. Like I know this, I've heard this information before, so okay. I don't have any questions, but um, okay. yeah, I think like to simplify it is that there most languages have other languages that they are related to. I think like there are a few outliers here and there. I think Greek is one of like a, a big outlier um, compared to the, like, the countries that surround it. Um, but in general, you place to place and then the, the, like, the, the languages that are excited have some, uh, not, if you can think of like biology, they have genetic history, like our shared history. Um, yeah, and Afro-Asiatic is what includes uh, Tigrinya as under the Semitic. I think it's South Semitic branch, or is it like called Ethiopic or something? Yeah, good question. I think the yeah, Ethiopic, South Semitic, they're they're both have been used. Um, yes, those are both those are both correct. And then within it, there's like the Northern and Southern, but we don't need to get into all that. Um, okay, so the Archaeological and linguistic evidence we have actually shows that it's most likely that the Cushitic people came probably from uh, what is now Sudan. Even though there aren't many there or like there are none there, the area we're thinking of, the Nile Delta. Um, no, not the Nile Delta, sorry, the Nile area. Um, and before that, there's multiple theories about where they come from, but lots of people believe that 
the Cushitic speaking people came originally from somewhere in the Middle Eastish area, so somewhere Turkey, the Levant, or something. Hey, is that uncle? That's uncle. That's uncle. Let's let's see if we can get uncle to join us. Uncle, you're getting a request. If you want to join, please hop in and give us some more of your knowledge. Um, yeah, and he just gave the bro- the breakdown of Afroasiatic Semitic, South Semitic, North Ethiopic. Um, so there's a there was a culture called the Natufians, so that lived I think like twenty ish thousand years ago, but there's a lot of contention about the exact date of when the Cushitic people came and settled into Sudan and then dispersed and moved into the Horn of Africa. So some people say 5,000, some people say 8,000, some people say 20,000. So it's, there's a lot of contention. Oh, it's the man himself. Uncle has arrived. <laughs> come here, come here, come here. So, <laughs> We have Shoeit with us here today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we're talking about the genetic history of Tigray. Um, also, a little bit of linguistics because we know they're tied together. Um, as you heard, we were talking about Afro-Asiatic and now I'm talking about uh, the Cushitic family. And like, so we're starting, you know, from up there. Um, and I was, what I was saying was that... Um, a lot of evidence shows it's not conclusive that it probably Cushitic started in um, uh, what is now Sudan as a group of people migrated from the Middle East. And so mm-hmm. we see that um, sort of genetic imprint in uh, the Horn of Africa. So there have been some interesting genetic studies that have shown that the, because we'll get into this later, our genetic um, profile as Tagarus mm. is basically like half Middle Eastern, half African, right? Yes, yes, yes. Probably more than half Middle Eastern. I know it's, I know it's, <laughs> it's, uh... it's, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. And you know what? We'll get into a slightly different, different topic later. Hello, Nohe. Oh, Nohe Lema is here. This is Wadi, by the way, from Clubhouse. Um, okay. <laughs> so um, I do have a question about Kushirik, um, or Cushitic languages originating from like a source in Sudan. Are there any languages that are currently spoken in Sudan that are um, Cushitic? Because I don't think Nubian is. Nubian is not. Nubian yeah. is Nilo-Saharan. There's a lang- group of languages called like the Beja languages. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah. I forgot they're in Sudan also. Okay. Yes, Sudan and Eritrea. So, but they're like on the northeastern half. Um, so... If you look at the, and there's been really interesting um, studies coming out recently the past 10 years about Ethiopia and the Horn of Africa in general, because originally what they assumed was they would look at our genetic profile and the profile of genetic, the genetic profile of Yemenis, and they would say it's like roughly half and half for both. Not exactly, but roughly. So they assumed the African component in Yemenis was Ethiopian Eritrean, and they assumed that the Middle Eastern component in, uh, I'll just say Habashas was, or no, that's not correct. We'll, we'll say Ethiopian Eritrean. Let's include everybody. Um, was Yemeni. Then, as they started to do some more research, what they started to find was really interesting. The African component in Yemenis is mostly from what is now like Mozambique and Tanzania. So it's a legacy 
of the slave trade, the East African slave trade, because a lot of people don't realize the slave trade in East Africa was actually far more extensive than I think in longer than the Western slave trade, right? And the Middle Eastern component we have, and there's like a really interesting one that came out two years ago, shows uh, it's not from the Arabian Peninsula as many people assumed. It's actually from the Levant. So the Levant would be Syria, mm. Palestine, Lebanon, Lebanon yeah, um, Jordan. Um, so we're like a different mix. And then also we do find that um, Yemenis get a little bit of Ethiopian DNA every now and then. So there's a little bit of influence there from our side, but there doesn't be, seem to be any influence from them into us, which is very interesting. Because you would assume that... Uh, I think we'll get into this. Um, Uncle, you've heard about the uh, Hamitic hypothesis. Um, something <laughs> lately, I think I can remember anything of it. I well, it explain a... it. So, sorry, you go ahead. Uh, well, at least from what I, what I can kind of gather, I think the, the concept was that, of course, like Kushnik, which is Kush, the son of Ham, uh, was something native to, to Ethiopia. And then the Semitic, which is the Kassim, the children of Sem, uh, Shem, sorry, um, which is like Middle Eastern, but kind of like come into mix. That makes any sense. But um, I don't, I don't know anything in details. That's no, that's a good background. The, the, the hypothesis was essentially so. The reason why we have those words, and that's it's good that you pointed out, it was Cushitic Semitic, and it used to be called Hamitic, was because back in the day, like a hundred-ish years ago they were biblical literalists and they were looking for things to line up with the Bible. So they assumed, oh, these people are the descendants of Cush, these people are the descendants of Shem, and so on and so forth. And the Hamitic hypothesis was the idea that all civilization in the Horn of Africa was the result of the Semitic people of Yemen mixing with the Cushitic people of Ethiopia, and that's where our civilization came from. But lots of evidence so far in the, the past 50-ish years or so, has shown, you know, I think the oldest example of what they call epigraphic South Arabian, which is where our alphabet comes from, is actually in Eritrea and Tigray, by a few hundred years. I don't know, Uncle, uh, th does that correspond with what you know? Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, so that sort of also ties into the genetic stuff we're talking about, where people operate under the assumption that Yemen has had this influence on Tigray, and we're starting to find that that's not necessarily true, which is which is really interesting. Um, so yeah, so what we know about the Cushitic-speaking people is likely a group of them, people from the Middle East came, mixed with some people that probably lived in Sudan, not necessarily, and then that led to Cushitic people spreading and what a lot of people don't realize is that so we know as we spoke about they're still in northeastern sudan um there's other Cushitic groups in um eritrea so there's the billing who are an ago speaking people we have all kind of Cushitic speaking people in ethiopia we know that right there's the somali there are Cushitic speaking people it actually goes further down there's Cushitic speaking people in kenya and a few in tanzania um and the reason is the assumption, and there's pretty good evidence for this, is that most of what we call East Africa, all the way down to Zimbabwe and possibly even South Africa, used to be Cushitic. 
right? And have you ever heard of Bantu? Bantu Do you guys know what it is? Yes. So the Bantu expansion occurred, a group of people, a Bantu-speaking people, which is under a different language. I think it's Niger or Niger Cordofanian is the language group. I could be incorrect. Um, and the Bantu-speaking people swept up throughout Africa and expanded through most of Sub-Saharan Africa. Not all, but most. Um, and so we see little remnants outside of the Horn of Africa of Cushitic-speaking peoples. And as I was saying earlier, how a group of people can change their language, but their their you know their DNA is still going to be you know leave that uh, previous imprint. So there are still groups in Eastern Africa that have some Cushitic DNA, as we found but they speak Bantu-speaking languages. For instance, the Tutsis. This is kind of controversial. Yeah. For a long time, there was lots of stuff, but it kind of has been shown that the Tutsis have a little bit of Cushitic DNA. And it's not just in Rwanda. It's that whole sort of area. There's certain ethnic groups in Rwanda, Burundi, Kenya, Tanzania, Tanzania even in the Congo, mm-hmm. that have some Cushitic DNA. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the Cushitic side of things. Then we move on to Semitic. So roughly 3,000 years ago, and almost every genetic study agrees on this, a group of people came into Tigray and Eritrea and mixed with the people and basically created the Semitic-speaking people of Ethiopia and Eritrea. Um, the interesting thing about this is, again, like we were talking about earlier, the assumption was, was it was from Yemen. Um, a lot of evidence shows it's not from Yemen. It's from the Levant. Um, there's lots of interesting evidence. Uncle, did I talk about in one episode the the people from Ugarit and the, the alphabetical order that we have? Uh, I think we might have. I'm not too sure. Well, I'll, I'll just talk about it again. Um, What's Ugarit? So Ugarit was a city. This is, okay, you know what? Let's get in depth. We have a half hour. There's no questions in the question box. If you guys do have questions, please put them in the question box so we can get to them later. Um, so it's been pretty conclusively found that the people who brought Semitic uh, DNA and languages to Ethiopian Eritrea were from the Levant, right? Yeah. Um, it's a small percentage. And we, the reason we know this is genetic studies have shown it's like roughly 10, 15% that, that amount in people from Tigray, Amhara, so on, right? Um, and you can see this because Agal people, they don't have that, right? Um, the interesting thing is roughly 3,000-ish years ago, there was something called the Bronze Age Collapse, right? So there were all these empires, all the way in kingdoms and city-states and whatever and polities, all the way from the UK, all the way down to Ethiopia and, you know, the Middle East, right? And after there was some sort some sort of event caused a collapse within that system. They don't know yet. There's lots of theories. Some people think the environment whatsoever. And it caused that economic system to collapse. And a group of people called the Sea Peoples came. And they invaded the what we would now call the Levant in Egypt. They were unsuccessful in Egypt but they essentially destroyed the Levant. So they destroyed all these city-states. One of them 
was Ugarit, right? It was completely and utterly destroyed, and they had their own language called Ugaritic. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, by the way, because I've only ever read it. Um, the interesting thing is, when I was reading about this, um, I found out that they're the only people who used the Northern Order and the Southern Order for the Phoenician alphabet. Now, for those of you who don't know what that means, the Phoenician alphabet is like, there's essentially, as far as we know, only two alphabet systems in the world. The ancient Chinese one and the ancient Phoenician one, and all other ones derive from those two. There's a little bit of contention about the Indian alphabet. Some people think they might be their own thing. So that means Arabic, the Giz Fidel, Greek, Cyrillic. Cyrillic is used in Russia, Ukraine, and the Eastern European countries. The Latin alphabet. These all have the same source, right? Um, the difference is in Ethiopia, the Giz Fidel is the southern order. In When you say uh, southern order, what do you mean? Okay, let me clarify, actually. Let me quickly... So, the alphabets are ordered in a particular way. So the Northern Order is very easy. So the Northern Order is like the first three, the first four are like Aleph, Beta, Bet, Gimel, Delta, right? So Aleph, I forget what it means. It means something in the language. Bet means house. House. Gimel means Gimel, camel. Camel. Right? I forget what Delta means, but it's like, and then you can see that in all the different alphabets, not all of them, most of them. So like, um, you can see that in uh, English, A, B, C, D, blah, 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 Cyrillic, it's very similar. And then, of course, they invent things and change things. We use the Southern Order. Right? The interesting thing is, if you look at Ugarit, they have the old version of the Southern Order and the old version of the Northern Order. So, the old version of the Southern Order is very similar to ours, except they don't have, it's not is Fidel, it's like the epigraphic South Arabian. There's no vowels, right? So it's just letters. There's like 26 of them. And it goes like, actually, you know what? Give me a second. Let me look this up. Because when you when you see it, it's very interesting. I should have had this ready. Just give me a quick second. Um, Ugaritic alphabet. Okay. Oh, I got it. Okay. So, so the South Semitic order of the Ugaritic alphabet goes something like, and I'm just going to add vowels at the end. So it sounds a little bit more like Isfidel. So we can all understand. Right. Not the same, but very similar. Right. Yeah. The Northern order that they used is, and this is very important. Uncle, I want you to try and figure out what I'm trying to do here. Okay. I'm gonna add. I'm gonna add vowels to it. There's no vowels, but I'm gonna add vowels. A, b, g, d, h, w, z. What does that sound like? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Very actually. Uh, we're not unique at all. We created nothing. <laughs> no, we didn't. Probably not. But that's fine. So to me. My theory is that the people who came, they brought the Southern Order, that predominated, but then the Northern Order was left over as a teaching tool. Because why would they, like, like even now that I think about it, why would you go, Abu why wouldn't it be like, you know what I mean? It's a weird choice of uh, letters. 
Usually what the, I think the excuse, uncle, correct me if I'm wrong, is that mm -hmm. they're randomizing it to see that you memorized it properly. Yeah, at least with the, uh, with the, with the vowels, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah. But I think there's also, um, two orders of writing, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, with most Semitic languages using like this abjad kind of thing or abjadada, and then going and so on and so forth. It may, it may differ from language to language. Uh, and then the Hanaha, I could never understand where that actually came from. So it's interesting that you say that, that it comes from this, uh, I, I think you said Northern Order? Well, ours is the Southern Order. Southern Order, okay, Southern yeah. Order, yeah. So it's interesting that you say that because that, that, that shows uh, an origin for it. Because it never made sense to me just to have like, and, uh, and I think the reason why it might be a little different is because we may have sounds that were not found in, in that alphabet, like Ha and Kha. So, Halaha versus Halama. I think. Um, yeah, so we've been hosting um, like FIDA lessons for um, young adults in our community. And um, the person that's leading it mentioned that in like the church, there is um, the each row has a name and there, there is a relationship between the order and like what it represents. So was that something that was that we got from elsewhere and then that was Christianized or was that something that was added later on or we'll never know? Um, I don't know. It depends on the name because this is similar. Like I said, um, I think we they used to have names like Aleph, Bet and so on, but we lost those with ours. So if they're the same, then we have that's probably own. where it goes. It's like, do you know what the names are or uncle, do you know? Yeah, um, there's there's two names actually depending on which order you use, right? So like the, if you say Aleph Bet, it's Aleph Bet, Gemel, Daliet, so on and so forth, which is kind of similar. Uh, like it, it sounds kind of like the uh, what's it called? And this is for the our fidel. Yeah, for our fidel. Yeah, but then there's uh, it's also um, they related to words that are found in the language itself. So like um, Bet obviously meaning Bet, Gemel meaning camel. And then, uh, like example, it's added like uh, when you say it's added, uh, the tsa that looks like a circle with two legs, uh, it would be called tzadik tsa. And then the one that looks like a circle would be called sahayi tsa. And you know, there's uh, uh, uh which is kind of like the W, which is which is common among Semitic languages. Um, but uh, again, like depending on which order you use, there's different names. Like ha, like hag is would be halwat ijabiyar la. Uh, to be honest, I don't remember actually. But, um, Can you translate that one for, for our listeners that don't? Uh... Okay, so meaning halwath exactly. So the, there's a gus or a, a verb called halwa, meaning to be or to exist. So halwath means existence. So halwath exactly would mean the existence of God. In, so that's in the, the very ha. first row. Yeah, the, the very, very first row. Yeah. Exactly. And then every letter would, would have its own, um, I guess, spiritual meaning. Uh, so it'll it'll kind of work as an acronym. The alphabet is a whole acronym, and uh, each letter would have its own word, and then its spiritual meaning, uh, which will be reflective of like the uh, the theology of the church. So uh, it would more be it would more so be an imposition on the society onto the alphabet versus the 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 alphabet's initial thing, right? And also the vowel system for the for the gears language it was developed within the church so mm -hmm. it, it developed a way uh, for people to kind of memorize and learn and also give them a i guess a spiritual understanding of these letters so it would stuck oh sorry it would stay and be stuck into the person's mind as well as teaching them something to like kind of hold it together 
That's really interesting. Okay. Awesome. I did not know that. That's awesome. Um, kind of lost track there. Um, I guess basically what I was saying is we had this group of Semitic speaking people that came from the Levant and possibly also Anatolia. Anatolia is modern day Turkey. There's a lot of evidence showing that genetic evidence, sorry. Um, and so that's where we got our Semitic languages and then, you know, you so know, our DNA. Flee, so they flee during what, like the equivalent of like the dark ages in Europe, like the middle eight. Middle Ages, or there's a period before the Middle Ages, it's like the Dark Ages. So it's not equivalent, but more widespread. Yeah, and like a Dark Age is a great term for it because we don't have a lot of data for that period because mm -hmm. things were so um, destroyed. There's even, um, I don't know if you guys remember when we were talking about in previous episodes about how pottery tells us a lot about cultures and tools and stuff because they're done in particular styles. So we see that in 3,000 years ago in, the, in you know, what is now Palestine, we see that it's a certain, uh, the, the pottery and the tools that they use were from those Semitic speaking people who lived there for hundreds of years. And then for about a hundred years, it changes to a more, um, Mycenaean one. So that's like the pre Greek, Greek peoples who are suspected to be part of the sea peoples and the DNA changes in the people for in the, you know, they find the, the, the bodies and such to more like Greek DNA. And then it switches back to Semitic. Wow. So f for about a hundred years, there was a lot of upheaval going on in that area. Um, and we also do know, and this is like going off a little bit sidetracked, but we know that it probably didn't just happen in Tigray. So we know that the Egyptians talk about it because they were strong enough to defend them off. But we also know there's a bit of a connection between the Greeks and Semitic speaking peoples because their religion is heavily influenced by uh, Phoenicia and, and Semitic speaking, pagan Semiticism. So like, uh, Aphrodite is probably, uh, a Semitic god that changed to a goddess. So, uh, Ishtar or Astarte or whatever you want to call her. In our Semitic pagan, before we were Christian, before, or, and Muslim, it was, the genders were flipped and he became Atar, the god of love and war. Um, what else? The association with planets, the Greeks, you know how the Aries is the god of war and so on and so forth. Aries is the Roman word, but that's very Semitic. That's not normally an Indo-European thing. So in the same way that we're talking about genes and, and language families follow each other, so do like their pagan gods. So like so a very common... With, so the association with planets was not a European thing? Is that what you're no, saying? No, Semitic. Okay. Semitic. Okay. So... A very northern European god is like a thunder god. So that's like Zeus, Thor. There's a Slavic one who carries an axe and he's a thunder god, right? Um, but the Greeks, they associated the, the, theirs with uh, planets. Also, they're a storm god. Their, their water god, Poseidon, um, comes from Phoenicia. Was Do you know anything about Phoenicia? They were Semitic yeah, the, like the, the only reason I've started reading about it, like, very recently is, like, for many, many years, I always wondered why um, Te in, like, where Anninga is, is the same as T, but I never, like, thought to ask or search, and then I searched it, and then I found the the reason why both English and Tigrinia use the same letter for the Te sound is because they're descendants of a Phoenician letter. Exactly. So that's so, all I know about Phoenicians. 
they colonized a whole bunch of areas around the the Mediterranean and the Middle East. And because they were uh, seafaring people, their uh, prime god was their sea god slash storm god. And one of the big cities they came from was called Sidon. And because he was considered the father of their people, and their people were considered to be from Sidon, he was Abu Sidon, which became Poseidon. So it's not just, they didn't just influence, uh, you know, modern day Tigray and Eretha, it was also, you know, the Greeks and other people within that area. So that's just sort of like the basic sort of, actually that was kind of in-depth about our genetic history. And as I said before, that is not unique to us. I know some people will claim otherwise. Every single group on earth, like we talked about the Bantu migrations, there were migrations mixing everywhere on earth. When I say everywhere, I mean literally everywhere. Um, yeah, so I, as I said, this is also probably going to be a bit of a shorter episode. There's 20 minutes left in the hour. If anyone has any questions, now is the time. Anything about to grind history, not about genetics. If you want anything cleared up, put it in the question box. Uh, Shoeit, do you have any anything you want clarified? Anything? Not at the moment. I think you did a great job, but if the audience has anything, please let us know. I see Your one uncle. question. So where does Abu Gida fall in if the influence is from the Phoenician Ugaritic alphabet? Um, so like as, as we were talking about, and as Uncle was saying, originally we had something called Epigraphic South Arabian, which is very similar to the Giz Fidel, but it didn't have vowels. It was just like letters. So like you would see a word, and if you translated it into English, it would be like, if so the, the old word for king was Malik, it would just be like MLK without the vowels in it. It's why we don't know how to pronounce um, the kingdom before ancient Aksum. Exactly. exactly. We don't, uh, like I say Diamat, but that could be wrong. I, some people say Damut. I say Diamat because there's another one in the medieval ages in yeah, Ethiopia Damut. called Damut. Yeah, I just say it to differentiate really. Um, but you're right, we don't know how to pronounce it exactly. See that, like exactly as he wrote it in the Wadizom D apostrophe MT. We don't know where the vowels are and which ones exactly were what. Um, and then eventually, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Uncle, during the Axumite times, they basically made the Fidel as it is now with the vowels and the different. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somewhere, sometime during the fourth century, um, that's when the, the vowels were brought in. So I, I think I want, the question is asking, like, how, so if we use the South, our alphabet comes from the Southern um, Ugaritic script, why are we using the North as in, like, the, the name to describe it? Like, we're using, because that, the Abu Gita comes from the, the order of the Northern script, correct? Southern, Southern. No, our order, but the, the actual term Abu Gita. Mm hmm Oh, where does it come from? Oh, from it comes the North, from the Northern right? one. Oh, yeah. true, yeah. I think that's what um, the the question was asking is is why do we use that if it's if it doesn't like how did that cross over if we weren't using that one? I don't know. That's a good. I don't know. Yeah. We're the we're the only ones who kind of use both. Maybe it's because like you know it's the same thing in English. They say alphabet, um, mm -hmm. and I think they do similar things in other languages. Maybe that's an old old term, and we just held on to it. I don't know honestly. Did, did, what about Uncle? What do you think? Do you have any? 
Yeah, I mean, um, there there is a a really interesting book written by uh, I think his name was Ayale Bokre. I think I have it here. No, yeah, it's called like Ethiopic African Rating System, where he kind of delves in and talks a little bit about it. But um, I mean, even even for us, we the term for the fetal we call it a we call it the fetal, right? Um, but calling it like the Abgar or Abugira, it's it's just a, the first few letters of the. The actual alphabet itself, and I think most Semitic languages still follow that same kind of pattern, uh, like Aleph Bet, Aleph Bet Gimel Dalit. It's quite common with Hebrew, Arabic, so on and so forth. And I, I mean, I think we 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 inherit it from the South Arabians. Uh, so if that's the case, I mean, what they would be using would be the norm, and then in turn, somewhere down the line, we'll call, uh, go more north. And I mean. With the genetic makeup, as you were saying earlier, it does kind of point towards this trade thing. So, example, Allah, even up until like the ninth or tenth century, it's it's known that a lot of people from Syria were were in Aksum and surrounding areas. Not only that, uh, Awana Salama is actually from Phoenicia. I mean, he's from Tyre, Tyre. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce it. So, it wouldn't be surprising uh, surprising that he brought this kind of. Um, you know, like organization of the letters uh, at, at his time, right? at his time period. Um, yes. Yeah. Alrighty. Let's see. In 44 minutes, I'll just make one little comment before we go. You know, I think some people get sensitive about this topic because, you know, it ties into the idea of blackness, right? And us being... Are we black or not? You know, it's a relatively all... new concept. It's like not something that existed even like a few hundred years ago. Absolutely. Um, it's an invented yeah. idea. It's a social construct. And we kind of live on the edge of that social construct. So, and you can kind of see that, you know, everyone's probably, I had experiences where people would tell me I wasn't black, black people, white people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's the way I sort of deal with it is just understanding, like, again, it is a social construct, race. So us, whether we're black or not, is like, it's like asking us to fit into an artificial box. You know, personally, for me, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with being called black. Uh, I understand the way I move in the world is, is as a black dude. I can tell you how many times I've been carded in Toronto it's more than once. Um, so white people definitely look at us and they see just black, right? So it's okay to have like, I don't know if I'm making sense. Like, I don't think, I don't think any African is, is black until they're out, they're out of their original, um, homeland. So here definitely, yes, I consider myself part of the black diaspora. Um, I think the, the kind of pushback from saying that, like acknowledging our origins and these are thousands and thousands of years like I, like it's not like recent admixture um yes. compared like in re- like especially when you compare it to like what other people imagine when they think of mixed uh population like the creole people and so, um, so on um is like questioning our, our africanness um more so than the, the race aspect i feel like our race is pretty clear for, at least for, for me my race is very in- incredibly clear but yeah the, the africanness bit but um yeah if we've been there for thousands of years and we have like part of our DNA, a significant part of our DNA is indigenous to the land, I don't think there's a question about it. No, yeah. 
and you know I think also other groups sometimes maybe like they might get the feeling like it's like oh what you think you're better or whatever and you just gotta like deal with that on their own and I find personally as I've gotten older that kind of sentiment tends to disappear that was mostly something I dealt with in high school I don't know about you guys you know what I mean <laughs> shall we oh, I don't know <laughs> no I've like I've never had uh questions about my identity i'm like very solid no not not identity i meant from like other people telling you what you were Um, yeah there's like something oh you guys are just mixed um like i've I've been told that or like that's why you have xyz characteristic um yeah that's what i mean i used to get that a lot in high school no you're you're not black you're something else what (laughs) what am i then (laughs) but i think uh east africans um are in general are more ashamed of like any recent admixture compared to other groups I've seen. Like they're a lot more quicker to hide. If there's like a recent Arab or Italian or just non, <laughs> like there's just, just, it's a non-topic. Yeah, yeah, like you don't talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's not, it's not a thing. It's not a thing of pride even internally. So I, I understand why people have hesitation with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, and I think it comes from this idea that like I think that's the point I'm trying to make is that oh, if we have this mixture in our history, we shouldn't acknowledge it because then, like, it means we're, like, um, we're not black, and that's not how race works, you know? Just, and as I said, every other group is mixed with something and people moved around, whatever, so don't worry about that. It's okay to acknowledge this part of our history. Um, and, yeah, uh, does anyone have, show we uncle, anything you want to say before we go? I would no, just uh, say, so one thing, one thing. I would just say, scholarship does not mean much this in this day and age. The whole classification between Negroid, Caucasoid, and Mongoloid is a scholarship, right? Yeah. It has no value. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, of course not. Okay. Alrighty. So that's the genetic history of Tigray. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Tariq Time. Thank you very, very much, Showeit, for being my co-host. Thank you. Thank you very much for... Uh, uncle for joining us and regaling us with your knowledge we'll see you guys in two weeks bye bye thank you